Last week, we started our introduction on prayer. And the, and the question that I was kind of starting off with and posing to you is, why do we even have to study prayer in the first place? Like, prayer should be the most natural thing to us. Prayer should be our chance to talk to the most powerful God in the universe. Prayer should be a privilege. Prayer should be something we look forward to. Last week, I asked you to write down on your card a person that you wouldn't talk to for a month. And it seemed kind of odd. Like I said, think of somebody close, put them down on the card, write down their name. Now you can't talk to that person for an entire month. And that kind of was weird for some of us to go, what? I can't talk to this person for a month. And yet what's weird is we actually claim Jesus to be our God, our friend, our savior, the lover of our souls, a whole bunch of things we sing about. And yet months go by and we don't talk to him at all and don't even miss talking to him. If I said, you cannot talk to God for a month, most of us wouldn't care. Some of us might. Somewhere in here, there's a prayer warrior who prays all the time and has no problem with prayer. That's like one or two people out of a group normally. Most people, most Christians struggle with prayer. And tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the theology of prayer. That's why it's a little bit of a drier topic. But I don't want last week's provocative questions to escape you. And I think those two questions were, why do we even have to talk about this? Why isn't it natural for us to just want to talk to the person we profess to love so much? Let's go to the next slide. Last week we covered the why question, which we always start each series of. Why are we even studying it? Just to recap real quickly. Here's what we're hoping to cover. We want to understand the importance of prayer, learn what it is and what it's not. We need to improve our prayer life. That's one of the major goals here. Broaden the impact of our prayer. Actually understand what it means to pray and what we can get out of prayer. Explore why it is that we even have to ask the question. And, and of course, to speak freely to God, to recognize his voice. Those are our goals. That's why we're studying this. Here were the, uh, the questions that I was kind of posing last week that I was hoping that we could start to answer. As humans, we tend to do whatever it is we want and avoid the things that we don't want to do. That's easy enough for us. So what is it about prayer that makes it so likely that we're going to avoid it? Why is prayer something that we avoid? I mean, none of us has to think about going out with a friend. None of us has to think about eating. None of us have to think about like drinking. None of us have to think about like watching our favorite television show. None of us have to think about the things that bring us pleasure in life, like hanging out with somebody that we love. And yet, as we said, it seems like prayer is not one of the things that we want to do. Why? Here we are again. We've been invited to talk to the God of the universe, and yet we don't want to. What is so counterintuitive about prayer? Or are we just taking the privilege for granted? He'll be here today. He'll be here tomorrow. Isn't that what he said? I'm the Alpha. I'm the Omega. I'm always here. I'm always around. So if I don't pray to him now, I can pray to him tomorrow. There's always another moment to do it in. Those are the lingering questions. If we're going to study prayer, what do we need? For our theology of prayer, to understand prayer accurately, what do we need? First thing is a genuine desire to learn. And I don't mean just about in general. Of course, every night that we talk about anything in this group, we need a genuine desire to understand it and learn. But prayer is one of those things where Jesus invites us to actually do it in a number of ways. So we have to know, Jesus, teach me how to pray. How do you want me to pray? You're going to see that as we walk through this series, Jesus actually says, when you pray, pray like this. He gave us kind of a method of prayer. And I know in the church we've been very popular in trying to decry or to denounce methods of prayers. We like to say, you can pray any time in any way, and that's true. I'm not going to take away from that. 
But we've been so quick to tell everybody that it doesn't matter how you pray or when you pray or whether you pray on your knees or you pray in your car, that we forget that Jesus also told us there were also methods of prayer that we could employ if it helped us. We're going to be looking at that because for all our talking about making prayer easy and acceptable to everybody, we're just not praying anymore. So here's a verse, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 and 29. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus says. That's an important part that we always forget. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Jesus invites us in a topic on prayer. In fact, it's a prelude to most of his discussion in Matthew. Learn from me. I'm going to tell you how it is that you can live out the things that I'm instructing you on. So number one, a genuine desire to learn. The second thing we're going to need is purity of heart. And this one I think I take very personally because I know this from personal experience. Maybe it rings true with you. It's very hard to pray when your heart is impure. It's very hard to seek the Lord, even though he invites us in any moment to seek him. It's really hard to enter into his presence when you know that you are living in an impure way. When we had our whole talk on purity one of the biggest consequences we identified to living a lack of purity was separation from God. It wasn't that he wanted to be separated from us. It's just that we naturally withdrew. We could not really enjoy what he wanted for us in his presence. Every single time, if you look at all the characters of the Bible, the ones who were doing something wrong, they're always fleeing from God. You never see them really entering his presence. It's hard. It's hard to enter his presence when we're not pure. Does that mean we need to change before we can pray? That's a good question. Impurity definitely is a barrier to clear communication with God. I don't want to be heard as saying that unless you're pure, you can come into the presence of God, because that's clearly not true. Because God will accept us in any state. But we ourselves, when we are impure, tend to turn away from God out of either shame or guilt or just because the devil is feeding us lies that the Lord doesn't want to hear from you right now? That's number one. And number two, I do believe that the prayers of a righteous man, as the Bible says, are more powerful than the prayer of a, just a, a wantonly sinful man. I'm not saying that God will not take you into his presence when you're impure. God welcomes you. I mean welcomes you, not just will tolerate you, but actually welcomes you in any state. But we tend to stop there and think, okay, that's enough. He'll take me back any time, so I'm good doing what I'm doing. And I'm saying, okay, but there's more to it than that. But it would be incomplete in a theology of prayer to stop and say that just because God welcomes us in any part, in any time, that all people will be heard equally, whether they're pure or impure, because I think the prayers of a righteous person do go a little bit further. And I think that's part of the whole idea of being pure. Certainly it's true, like I said, that we can come to God any time, whether we're pure or impure. But I want to point out that a lot of us think that means that I can have a vibrant prayer life when I'm impure. And I want to say, you can come to God any time you want, but you want to have a vibrant prayer life? The more pure you are, the more vibrant it will be. One more element I want to throw up there. Next slide. For every one of you, the perspective may be different. Some of you may be in that place where you think that I can't speak to God because of all the things I've done. You need to realign that perspective and find out that's a lie that Satan is telling you. Some of you may think that prayer is a waste of time because you've prayed earnestly and not heard anything back, or actually the opposite has happened. 
And we need to realign that perspective to remind you that God is always in control no matter what, and there is a greater purpose going on, and I don't know the reason why the prayer didn't work out the way it, it did, but that doesn't mean that God is not sovereign, he's not king of the universe. He is all those things. Realign your perspective in this way. Look at this verse. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Why do I use that verse? Because personally in my life and a lot of people's lives, that's the perspective we need to adopt, that prayer and actually taking our rightful claim as sons and daughters of God himself is what the gift of prayer is really all about. Prayer is receiving our inheritance in a way because he says, if you believe in me, you're my son. Just as Jesus is my son, God is saying, you are now my son because you believe in me. I've given you the right to become sons and daughters. And as part of the birthright that you get as a son or daughter of mine is that you can speak to me. Now I can make up a hundred analogies about how in many ancient cultures you couldn't speak to the king unless you were related to him, all these kind of crazy things. But in this case, let's just get to the point. God is saying to you that because you've accepted the sacrifice of my son, you are now my son or daughter, and I give you the birthright of speaking to me. Realign your perspective along that for a second. Think of what it would mean, going back to our question that we asked at the beginning. Think about what it would mean if God said, hey, come and have a conversation with me tonight, Chris. Let's go outside for a few minutes and tell me, ask me anything. What advice, what counsel, what gifts, what blessings can I give you, my son? And that's the perspective that prayer should have in our lives. This kind of understanding that it's not like, hey, you're a Christian, congratulations, now here's a backpack full of things that are going to burden you your whole life that you got to wear. you got to pray, you got to read the Bible, you got to go to church, you got to do the communion thing, you got to tithe, you got to give some... You know, service hours here, you got to join a local church, you got to be part of a house group. Those are the things. Make sure you do all those things. Thanks for coming. Next. Because that's the way we look at prayer. It's like one of those items on the list. And when we're not doing it, and somebody goes, So, how's your Christian walk? You're like, Well, and you're going through a checklist not praying enough, not reading the Bible enough, not serving enough, not in a house group yet, not in this. You're thinking, I'm not doing so good. It's not the Christian life. The Christian life is, congratulations, you are a son of the king of the universe, and he wants to have a conversation with you every day to say, how are you doing? What's on your mind? Why so glum? Why so happy? And that kind of perspective makes prayer a totally different part of the Christian life. So, understanding how to do it, working on purity, and then keep the perspective in mind of what prayer really should be for us. Maybe that will take away the guilt of I don't pray enough and make it more like, what am I, an idiot? It's open. It's right there. Yeah. Do you think that maybe this is a cultural issue? Because now you kind of hit on something like, it's odd for my family not to talk to each other. Even if we complain or whatever... I think there are cultural elements to it, and maybe the church has been part of that. The way that we've made prayer into a chore or a regimen or a, I don't know, you got to be good to know how to do it, you know what I mean, or whatever it is. We put a lot of weird emphasis on prayer. You know, the way that people have to pray before they eat. You know, it's like, 
<laughs> it's almost like a game show. Like if you touch the fork before somebody prays, like, eh, and then you get feel all weird, you know, like, oh. Um, the way that certain words are used in prayer, the way we pray out loud. I grew up in a church where you had to be an elder to pray certain prayers. I mean, imagine that you had to be an, actually an ordained person or an ordained elder just to pray one or two of the prayers in the service. Like there was the prayer that a lay person could pray and then the prayer that an ordained person could pray. And that was just kind of a weird thing. And that was a Protestant church, by the way. So it was just, we kind of build those up. And yes, there are cultures that maybe they pray, but they pray in a different way. And we might identify that as, wow, they seem to have such a vibrant prayer life, but they're just repeating a cultural norm in their life. I mean, I'm around some people that are from other countries that no matter what you say, they go, oh, praise you, Father. They, they love to throw out the, and you think like, wow, man, they're just constantly talking to God all day. But sometimes I think that's just a cultural response. Yes, I think there is a part of it. Last week, Dave Seau challenged us a little bit. He said one of the things that makes prayer so difficult is that it's, Something we're trying to do naturally, but it really is supernatural. And I really thought that was an interesting point. We're trying to make natural something that's supernatural. So one of the books I was reading this week was addressing, is prayer natural or supernatural? I thought, hey, that's really interesting. Here it is. And the author concludes, prayer should be natural. <laughs> and, I, and, I went, and, and, and in part supernatural. Here's some reasons it should be natural. First of all, we are told that the spirit of prayer dwells within us. That's what the Bible says. It should be part of our nature as Christians. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You're possessed by the Spirit of God. He lives in you. The temple of the Holy Spirit. Shouldn't the Holy Spirit be in control? Look, it says... You are not your own. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. It should be natural. But think about it. If the Spirit of God is really in you and moving you and possessing you and owning you and occupying you, shouldn't the Spirit of God be manifesting itself in some way? I.e., at the very least, you should be like maybe praying. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. Again, there's that you are receiving the adoption. As sons, Romans 8.15 says, you're receiving adoption. You're taking your birthright to be able to do what? It says, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, if you parse that verse down, it's saying, you have received the birthright, the gift of prayer that makes you want to yell out, Daddy, Abba. So again, another clue that when the Spirit dwells within us, when we receive our right as Christians, it should be natural that we should want to speak and commune with God in that way. And that's what I think, that's why every time you come to this verse in the Bible, people always make sure that everybody understands that Abba is, you know, meaning Daddy, right? We all know that. We've heard that sermon a hundred thousand times. But now look at it from a different perspective tonight. That not just do we have the right to call him daddy, but why is it that we have the right to call him daddy? Why aren't we just saying, oh God? Why are we saying, oh daddy? Because the spirit that's in us gives us that birthright to be adopted, to go beyond just a normal person who searches the heavens in a blank stare at the skies and goes, oh my God, what's going on? To someone who knows specifically who they're talking to, hey dad, what's up? 
because we have been adopted. Anybody on earth can pray to God, and God will hear everyone. But again, this is a clue that once you accept Christ, you're on a different level because you know him more intimately. At least the spirit that resides in you, you should know him more intimately. It causes you not only to be possessed by the spirit of God and to be the temple. That's the first verse. But in Romans 8.15, we're finding out that that spirit is what's adopting you into being a son or a daughter of God. Being able to say, Abba. Here's another reason it should be natural. We're followers of Christ. 1 John 2.6 says, The one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walked. You guys know that, translated to modern jargon. If you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk. You say that you belong to him, walk the way he did. What does that mean, walk the way he did? You notice all the times that Jesus withdrew to pray? You notice all the times that Jesus gave us prayer as an example? I mean, you could think it's a little curious. I do. But Jesus never gave up an opportunity to pray. I used to think, is he praying to himself? Is he praying to himself in the future? Because he's not really bound by time? Is he just like smiling at himself going, I know you'll give me what I want because I want it and you're me and I'm you. I, I don't know. But he modeled it for us all the time. Probably the more correct answer is there is a distinction between the Son in the Trinity and becomes fully man and fully God at the same time, distinct from the Father, that the Son still knows that while he's on earth in flesh, that he still needs to pray to receive power from heaven. Maybe it's always that way in the Trinity. Who knows? Maybe the Son is always approaching the Father in the Trinity. We'll play mind-boggle later, okay? But the more important thing is, if we want to be like him, we need to walk like him. He was constantly praying. Matthew 6, 5 through 6. And when you pray, Jesus says. He didn't say if you pray. He assumed when you pray. Now this takes place in a specific context. Matthew 5 takes place where? Where was Matthew 5 preached? Sermon on the Mount. Who did he preach the Sermon on the Mount to? He preached it to his disciples. The Bible is very clear that there was a large crowd of people. He withdrew to the top of the mountain. His disciples followed. And now he's speaking to his disciples. And he says to them, when you pray. He's not speaking to the multitudes of like some who are disciples and some who are not. He's assuming the people who are listening to me are my disciples. And here's an instruction to you. When you pray. Not if, when. Don't be like the hypocrites. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray for your father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. But the point here is when you pray. Why is it natural for us to pray? Not only because the Spirit indwells in us, but also because we're followers of Christ. It should be natural that we do what our Master did and what our Master commanded. Chris? This is the first time I've ever heard that verse being taught as an assumption other than a command. It's never been a choice. According, Well, it is a choice, except not to his followers or his disciples. And that's the whole point is, why is it natural for us to pray? Because we profess to be disciples of Jesus. If you profess to be his disciple, then walk the walk. Better yet, talk the talk. And that being a prayer. The second reason is because it is a commandment. It's, it's an assumption. It's, it's just, hey... You're my disciple. When you pray, do the following. It's not going to be like, hey, you know what? If someday down the road you're feeling bummed out and you want to pray, then here's what you would do. You're going to pray. 
And when you do it, do it the following way. So, like I said, this is why it should be natural to all of us. Again, this is the theology behind prayer. The questions that are still lingering are, but uh, why isn't it that easy? And why isn't my conversation with him that way? One more slide. Simply stated, ask and it will be given to you. That's part of the conversation I've been describing with you, with God. Not just tell me what's on your heart, but tell me what you want. And we have to struggle with that because a lot of us have asked for things we want and they seemingly don't show up. But again, it's I don't take my word for it. This is Jesus speaking himself. Also, James admonishing people, you do not have because you do not ask. Now, I want to be really careful here because I'm not trying to prop up a prosperity gospel of like, God's going to shower blessings because all you got to do is ask. But there is definitely, no matter how you put it, a connection between God's blessing in our lives and what we ask of him. Because the scriptures are clear also. Again, using terminology of an adoptive family, when he says, how many of you, if your son asks you for something good, would not give them this, how much more would your heavenly father give good gifts, right? We've gone through that passage a number of times. And again, it's using the same analogy. You're part of the family. You get certain privileges. I mean, if we were going to change this whole thing around into an earthly context, just put it this way. This isn't about you not praying. This isn't about you not communicating. This is about like, hey, dummy, wake up. You've been adopted by the king of some country. It's really more of a wake-up call to say, do you realize that you have more power, privilege, ability than you know? Why? Because God's adopted you. And I think if more of us understood prayer in that context, then we would see it in that way. Hey, the king wants to have a conversation with you. Why? Because you're his daughter. Period. Not, I'm sorry you joined the Christian faith, you're not mature enough, you're on the treadmill, you're not praying enough every day. Boy, you should feel bad about yourself. I'm trying to shake that up. I hate that mentality. I want you really looking at it from a different perspective. Let's come back to this. The difficulty of prayer. Wayne Mack is one of the people that I'm reading in one of the books. And he made this pretty intelligent observation, so I decided I wanted to cite it. Because he acknowledges that despite all the things we're talking about, of being inherited in the kingdom and all this kind of stuff, it's still difficult. And he suggests a spiritual reason. Prayer is work. Unbelievers do not understand the difficulty of prayer. But those of us who are Christians know it well. Everything else in the Christian life is easier than prayer. That kind of resonated with me. It's easier to read our Bibles than it is to pray. It's easier to witness, to go to church, to give to the poor than it is to pray. Why? The reason for this is that the closer we get to what is most important, what brings us most spiritual power, the more opposition we're going to get from the devil, the world, and our own flesh. Now, I tend to always look skeptically at any answer that begins with the devil. I'm not saying he doesn't exist. You guys know I believe in his existence. You guys know I talk about him every once in a while. But it always makes me a little nervous when Christians always pull out the devil as the answer to everything. Okay? But notice he says, the devil, the world, and our flesh. What this paragraph is really saying is, think of prayer as something that the enemy would do everything to keep you away from. Now, I kind of like that because it makes it seem like all those times I didn't pray, it wasn't because I was lazy. It wasn't because I was immature. It wasn't because I didn't really long to be with Christ. It's because I was prevented from doing it by the devil. I don't know how much I buy that, but I certainly know that I've probably been prevented by my own flesh because my flesh desires other things sometimes and the things that are truly spiritual. 
it should be first nature to us to pray. Let's go back to this verse. Again, my reason, maybe your reason. And the reason I put down a personal reflection is because I started to struggle with what it was that made me pray in the times that I really had a good prayer life. And I'm not talking about the night when I was like in pain over something, but I mean the times of my life where I really genuinely sought and loved prayer. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Personally, this is just a personal reflection, may not be true in your life. Personally, there was a time in my life where I believed this statement to be totally true. Where I believed that I was a son of God. Where I really believed that I was his special creation that he had brought back into the family when I accepted him again. And I thought and believed with all my heart that with it came certain privileges, like the ability to speak to him and to ask him things on behalf of other people, on behalf of myself, to literally change the outcome of history as it was being made. I really believe that God could intercede in the moment and change things because I was praying in faith. I searched the scriptures and read words about how we could move mountains if we had just this much faith and believed them or wanted to believe them and wanted to believe that that was part of my inheritance for being a son of the eternal king of the universe. And in those moments when I really did believe that, I had every incentive to pray. Because not only did I believe that God was listening, I believed that he was acting. And the funniest thing is the more I believed that he was doing it, the more I saw that it was happening. And the more that my eyes were opened to what he was really doing. There were times when my life when I really believed that he was the father of my destiny, where I kept a prayer journal and just put down all the miraculous things that I could see God doing in the world as a result of my prayers and prayers of others around us. And I thought someday I'd read this book and remind myself of how powerful God is and how powerful prayer is. And that's what I want to offer as a personal observation. You know, imagine that kind of lifestyle. And I know that some of you have had the same experiences. And I'm not going to say that this is the answer. Let's close off the series. This is just the beginning, I think, of scratching the surface at a very difficult question. We've asked a couple of them tonight. Why don't we have that conversation with God that's just so free and open? Because if I had that opportunity, I'd take it up every day. Like the story of Enoch in the Bible, who literally for 300 years just walks and talks to God until he walks right into the kingdom of heaven. I mean, how how does that happen? How do you get to that point? The image that I use for this series down here is this image of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And to me, in my personal life, this image has always been powerful. There's a chapel at Forest Home where I used to go to camp when I was younger. And in the chapel, there's a stained glass of this image. And I always used to find it interesting that I would sneak in in the middle of the night and pray in the darkness. They used to have a light that shines through that would just kind of highlight this image. So the whole chapel is dark except for that image. Years later, I found a church in Montecito that had the same stained glass. And I thought it was so ironic that God had brought me to this place for a specific purpose because I remember seeing this stained glass. And again, it was one of those places. And maybe as we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks, when we talk about methods of prayer and ways to help prayer and prayer life, one of the things that I've identified about, and this is again a personal thing, is I need a place to pray. 
I need to go into a holy of holies of some kind. Because for me, even though we talk about it, you can do it any way you want. You can pray in the mall if you want to. For me, effective prayer comes when I steal away to some place, quiet and different from where everything else is going on. And so throughout my life, I found these really cool chapels that I would like always like to go to, and I really need to just get away, drive somewhere far away to go seek the Lord. Even if it was up a mountain to go to Forest Home to find the chapel, I would know that there was the comfort. It was almost like I was finding this special place where God and I met for very important appointments. The cool irony of it, I guess, for me was when I was getting married, we were looking for a church. We found a church, but when we walked inside, we found it was a beautiful sanctuary. And in the middle of it was this stained glass, like in like enormous proportions. And I thought, not a bad place to meet God one more time. I think it's those kind of things that maybe bring us into a spirit of prayer sometimes. You know, I like make fun of the fact that if you look around the sanctuary, there's like not one picture of Jesus in our sanctuary ever. It's like we, we're so scared of idol worship or something that we never put a picture of Jesus anywhere. And like this stained glass in the chapel was always so beautiful to me because it brought me to a place where I could meet God in a place where, by the way, I always thought he was probably praying the hardest he ever prayed in his earthly ministry. You guys know that as he knelt in the rock at Gethsemane, he was basically saying, my God, if there is any other way for me not to go through what I'm going through right now, please, this has got to be the hardest night of my life. And I figured that would be a great place to meet God many times when I was going through the hard times, kind of in a place where he was in his hardest time. So it got me thinking about the images of Christ. Go to the next slide. I mean, we don't, we don't have an image of Christ in our churches. And maybe that's one of the things we need to be doing, is figuring out the image of Christ in our own mind. You know, for me... I truly think that we don't actually spend enough time reflecting on the image of Christ. I don't think that we have that kind of veneration sometimes that some of our other Christians, brothers and sisters in other denominations have. And I'm not advocating idol worship. I'm not advocating you kissing a picture or the ring of a pope or any weird thing like that. What I'm talking about is that God sometimes seems really distant And I wonder if we decorated our homes with pictures of Christ, whether he would seem more near, especially more intimate portraits of Jesus that maybe are closer to whatever our background is or understanding. This doesn't really speak much to the culture I know, except in America I grew up watching this Jesus in my Sunday school class. And this week as I was thinking about the different things to put up as artwork in my new house, I was thinking... How radically would it change the house and the feel of everything in it if I put up this picture of Jesus somewhere prominently in the home? Is it the picture? No, it's not the picture. But I could look at that at the way that some of us look at a picture of somebody that we love, you know what I mean? Or maybe a family member. I would look at that picture of Jesus and remember, like, just looking at this picture, this is the person I love. This is the person that hears me when I pray that talks to me when I pray. This is the person that is my Lord, but is also the person that I'm supposed to be in a relationship with. And just seeing the picture reminded me of Jesus. You can pick any picture you want. It doesn't really matter. I think that we're robbed and we're poorer from it as a church that we're so scared to put up the picture of Jesus for fear that that picture might offend one person, but or whatever the reason is, I don't know. 
But it's very important, I think, for us to visualize Jesus for a moment and understand and remember who he is. To look deep in our soul and remember the Holy Spirit really is living there. To remember that we are sons and daughters of God. Because once I start the first prayer and I see the effects of it and start to pray again and see the effects of it, before you know it, I may have waded deep back into the water again where I used to be, where I used to really believe that God is my Father. That when I prayed, He was listening. And that when I asked, he was acting. And that literally the world was changing around me because I was anointed to speak to him as his son. I think that we just don't believe that anymore. And I'd like to personally, at the end of this series, believe that again. So tonight what we're going to do as another prayer exercise like we did last week is just take a few minutes of silence. Just don't say anything. Just You can pray. You can sit in silence for a second. And just reflect on the image of Christ. Whether it's the one you've seen, whether it's one you have in your own head, just reflect on the image of Christ and seek him out. And just let that conversation take place with this opener of him just saying, son or daughter, what is it that we need to talk about? Jesus, I, for one, am tired of being one of those people who it seems in every prayer has to confess to you how short I come in whatever it is we're talking about, as if somehow just confessing it over and over makes it better. Lord, I want to make a positive step to reclaim my position as your son. I want to make a public statement of my dedication to do whatever it takes to reclaim the gift that you've given and to be fully aware of the power of the prayer whether it be just in communing with you, Lord, hearing your voice, receiving direction or advice or wisdom or just words of love or just assurances that the next world is indeed coming and it's so much better than this. Or, Lord, to take it a step further, to be bold enough to believe that if I pray to you that things would change, outcomes would vary, hearts would be open lives would be changed, Lord. To be bold enough to believe that even supernatural events would occur just as Jesus instructed his disciples to do things in his name that would astound so many, even themselves. Lord, I want to be that bold. I want to know prayer that way, not as a chore, not as another thing to check off my list, but as power. Thank you, Jesus, for that kind of invitation, for the spirit that dwells within us that you sent while you were away. I pray, Lord, that we would be in tune to that spirit this week and it would find ways to compel us into the secret places, Lord, where we could find you and truly spend time one-on-one with you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.